the subject for the evening talk is the art of gentleness. During the course of our life, either by interest or circumstances, each one of us has been exposed to varying degrees to religious views of life. And sometimes in our exploration there has been quite a stark contrast between one view of life and another. And one of the noticeable uh, contrasts is that sometimes we hear and read within our uh, Judeo-Christian uh, tradition of a certain kind of uh, emphasis, particularly in the more uh, authoritarian approaches, in which there's a general view of us as human beings that we have all, as it were, started off as sinners. And as a result of this, we have to be born again, be dramatically changed in order to come into an original purity, let us say. And this view though it may seem rather distant and abstract from ourselves and where we are at this point in our life, very, very easily, and I think particularly in the earlier years, if we've had a strong exposure to this, can lead, and frequently has done so, to feelings of um, being bad, feelings of uh, guilt, feelings that one is a sin sinner and is fundamentally wrong, and from that premise and that conclusion, one has to come out of that condition. And it's, as I say, it's not at all an uncommon view, frequently affecting millions of people, whether one knows it or not. And one has, in stark contrast to this, the view within the Eastern tradition which says precisely the opposite. And it says, and as, to quote the Buddha, the Buddha said, the original nature of the mind is pure and bright and has become defiled, which means a cut darkened or coloured by conditions. But the original nature of it is. And therefore the importance for human beings to explore and go deeply into themselves to, to find our original mind, the original nature of the mind. And this seems to me to have some bearing, even though both are religious views, and one may believe one or the other, some bearing on the art of gentleness. Because frequently with us, when there is this view about ourselves which is critical 
and harsh towards ourselves, it very easily brings out of ourselves a certain kind of franticness, a certain need, if not desire, to prove ourselves to others and to ourselves that basically we're okay, that we've made it. And our life, when it's, li when it's like that, when, the, when we've not looked and stopped carefully enough to look at ourselves, much of our activity, whether we realize it or not, is in some way to show to others and to show to ourselves that we are as good as anybody else. And so this, what happens with, with us, is that we get this acknowledgement, of course, through not only what we do, and there may be a great deal of quality in what we do, but what tends to go along with it also is how much we do. And there's some kind of equation which takes place with us and with our uh, peers that somehow or other, the more we do, the better we are. And this easily, this kind of motion and this way of living increases the degree of lack of contact with ourselves and therefore with what really counts. And one might ask, you might ask, and you stop, and I must ask too, and stop, and just look today and ask, you know, what, what in my mind has been going on in terms of the thought which takes place, which says, I must do, I really must whatever. And sittings can, can be consumed with, as it were, endless streams of thoughts, feelings and ideas about either what I must do or what I must complete. And so we find ourselves making a tremendous amount of effort in life to bring things to completion because we so desperately want to feel complete, or starting things up, that initiative there, to do more in order to somehow gain some acceptance personally and publicly. And it easily, as I say, makes us harsh people, it makes us sometimes callous, it, it, it hardens us, we just want our own way, and we forget the art of gentleness. Sometimes, in this pushing too hard and demanding too much in life, both of, our, of ourselves and others, we don't realize or appreciate the effect that it has on, not only on the mind and the feeling life, but also on speech and body. And all three, 
body, speech and mind are obviously very much interrelated. So our stopping, as meditation is of course about stopping in the moment, our stopping is in a way an opportunity for us to recollect ourselves and to see where either in this present moment or in my life am I pushing too hard. And how, and how does that show itself? And I frequently hear a, a, an example of this. And my sense and feeling is in just talking and meeting with people that the situation of pushing hard um, uh, with regard to one's mind is actually, as a social phenomena, is getting worse and worse and worse. And so when I hear of people, and very good friends, who say to me, I've decided to go back into school. I decided to go into this college, this, this university. I've decided to enter into this uh, training program. And I realize I've got to really drop everything. It's going to take all my time, and I'm feeling quite frightened about having to do all of this over this next three-year period, next five-year period. And so one begins with fear and apprehension and worry, will I be able to do it? Will I be able to succeed? succeed? Will I be able to complete this paper, this dissertation, this course, or whatever? And my feeling is, over the ten years now of teaching, that this apprehension and fear is getting stronger for people and is like a pressure upon people, even who are entering into the most worthwhile of activities, to feel they've got to do this, got to get this completed, get this over and done with. And the impact on the psyche can be very strong. We have to explore other ways of relating to all of this. Now what happens when that mind has that mode of forcefulness, loses the art of gentleness, very easily of course it carries into other areas. It carries into the way that we communicate, the way that we speak. And sometimes, and uh, it may, may probably will, happened during the retreat, that sometimes I come out with things. <coughs> and you know, it, as you've had this experience in it yourself, you, you say something, a one-liner or a two-liner, one-liners are the worst, and, and by the time you've said it, you can't do anything about it. You know, you, you, you feel like sort of pulling a hand out and saying, we'll draw that sentence right out of existence. Like that. And there have been a few, um, a few occasions, and one of them, uh, well, there have been a few, I think, actually, there have been a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and, and one of them concerned our relationship to this uh, difficult concept uh, of uh, G-O-D. Very, very, very difficult uh, concept to, to work, work with. And, and sometimes when there's some investment and some charge or some pressure which is in, in the mind, very, very or 
the pressure to want to convince people about something called whatever it might be. One loses this art of gentleness, this is in communication, and one sense, sense, says something, and this unsettles people's uh, uh, sensitivities very understandably. And so what I had said in Barry, it was a few sentences, this is on the centre on the East Coast. I said, this deity that we, our society, really, uh, because I can't relate to what, it, to what Jesus has been speaking about, has created this male god, this male deity who has been projected right out of life. And this G-O-D that has been projected into some other world is really a peculiar one since he is saying he wants from us to go down on our knees and worship him and his boy. And that if he doesn't, do, and if we don't oblige, <laughs> he's going to send us into an eternal fire for all it, for, forever and ever. And I said, I feel that this God has a real obsessional problem. <laughs> and, I, and I added that I felt he ought to go and see a good Californian therapist and... and <laughs> So this unsettled some people. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have sold that story, I've got it again, haven't I? And, it's, and some things which are said, sometimes in light and sometimes uh, in whatever way that one does, it says these things, is rather to try to bring things in life and, and the finding of of God, as the Buddha has used that concept very beautifully, the finding of, of God in life. Not to reject the concept and what that concept may be pointing towards, but to question, and rather ruthlessly, and I feel that sometimes humour is, which has been a, had a great place in Buddhism to its credit, is such that sometimes it just, as it were, can touch something inside of us to see some of the absurdities that we have created and championed in some way or other. And therefore to bring G-O-D more into life rather than projected and alienated from life. But in all, all of this, sometimes it's not only what we communicate, but also where we are actually coming from inside of ourselves. And as I say, it seems to me that gentleness and the art of gentleness and exploration of that is important for body, obviously important for speech, important for mind. This kind of pattern of mind and way very easily becomes the way that we're familiar with. It's, it's an actual conditioning. And because it's a conditioning, conditioning means that frequently it's the only way that we know how to relate and how to be. 
So when it go, when it's if it's there as some kind of everyday norm in our daily life, how is it going to be so different on the first day of a meditation retreat? And so we're now coming into a situation like the meditation retreat. Very easily we carry with us the expectations of how this should be. And sometimes in that we are actually asking of our mind far, far more than, it, than the goods it can offer. And therefore being reasonable with ourselves and pragmatic with ourselves uh, is to work more with the art of gentleness. So in that, when we come into today and are look, looking at the, the quality of today, two events have been taking place. Either we've been in the moment, as I mentioned, or the mind has been engaged in some kind of movement. Come this time of 7.30 in the evening on the, on the first day, what are the primary movements of today? In that movement, when we recognize that movement, when we see that movement, in that moment, that is called self-knowledge. That's where our, that's where our practice is as much as it is with the breathing. In that, when this ex expectation comes in, it can either be coming from a certain place of understanding within ourselves, Expectation is a useful mental uh, uh, attribute. You know, I come into the room here, it's ten past uh, seven, I have a certain expectation that you haven't all got fed up during the day and split, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and you have a certain expect expectation that I'll be uh, reasonably punctual, and so on. So there's, there's expectation which has a certain understanding which accompanies the expectation. When that expectation in ourselves is exaggerated, it's primarily due to the lack of self-knowledge. If we don't know ourselves, we tend in our life to exaggerate upon ourselves and upon others, ourselves and others not being so different, our degree of expectation. Which means that we've taken up an image I come here, I've come to do this retreat, I've heard about all the various states which are possible, I want to go deep, I've had some depth of meditation in my previous retreats, I've experienced that meditative awareness when I was walking in the forest, when I was out in this extraordinary nature of this uh, state, etc. And, and this is wh what I want. And there's a certain expectation which comes. But if we don't know ourselves, if we're out of touch with ourselves, the expectation on ourselves builds up. And these expectations fed in from outside other people's expectations on us, from parents, educators, friends and so forth, and the internalization of them means the mind is under pressure trying to be somewhere where it isn't.
in that gap, trying to be somewhere where we are not, that gap makes all room for suffering. Suffering comes through that gap, fills that gap, occupies that gap, and one's life becomes a, a movement from, from suffering to suffering because one is not as one wants to be, one is not where one wants to be, one is not what one wants to have. How on earth are we going to end this gap? In our meditation practice, this movement into the present and this commitment to working with the present is such that there's a change of emphasis which is taking place from the pressure upon ourselves to be somewhere and all that can be implied in that, to one of settling back and settling in. And it's almost, even in the language, let alone the experience, it's almost, instead of going forward to, arriving at, we're in fact going the reverse way. We're coming back to. We're stepping into. We're settling into. And this goes against the general tendency of mind. Tendency of mind is to go out. And we're saying, we've tried it, we've done it so much, look, 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 look where it's got us, look where it's got our planet. Now we've got to see what it means to sack from. See what, see what getting into means. That movement, that, that turnaround of consciousness is the first step of spirituality. In that turnaround which begins to take place, it's such a, turner, it's such a turnaround for us that the, the initial experience and period of it can be fraught with difficulty. And we really are in transition. Everyday mind is going out to what I want, what I need, what I don't want, what I don't need, what I must have, what I shall get, what I did do. If we look at our thoughts, how much of our thoughts are not so much involved with the quality of life in its fullness and in the gentleness towards life, it's, it's revolved very much around ego and its needs, some of them important and, dis and essential, no, no question, and some of it simple pattern of mind, conditioning. And there's very, there may be pleasure in that, and there may be pain in that, but joy comes from somewhere else, real joy in life. And in life, we're looking at the, the present, and in our going and ex exploring with the present, as I say, the mode of mind is usually, I need to get, I need to get more concentrated, I need to get more focused, I need to be more in the present. And that 
forcefulness sets us up. Pleasure if we succeed, pain, disappointment, sorrow, self-rejection if we don't. We've, we've repeated history and we've simply transferred the, the socially conditioned mind into, the, into a mentally conditioning meditation. And so it's not surprising, is it, that one starts to use frequency of term, beating oneself up, putting oneself down, undermining oneself, feeling that one isn't getting anywhere, self-recrimination, reaffirming feelings of worthlessness, and all of those kind of reactions, which is the most common social problem that I see. And when we are in that situation, and we are actively hitting ourselves in, through our thoughts, through our emotions, through our judgments about ourselves, it's understandably very difficult to stay with that. And what happens as our escape route from it is the future. The future. Towards a better future, a more comfortable future, a happier future a clearer future. And what's going to happen? Same old package of mind, and we just carry it, but we've got the pleasure of the future as a compensatory mechanism for ourselves, so we move away from the fact. We create the gap called the future, and our mind goes, and once we get to this future, whatever it is, we find, oh my God, it's just like it was last week, last year, last decade, because that mind is still there, untreated. Gentleness is like the brother and sister of self-acceptance. It's in our meditation, in our walking, in the rhythm and flow of our day, learning to accept ourselves, our humanness, our, our, our personhood, the, the, the condition, the totality of mind, that if we can as it were, digest one theme out of this retreat of learning to deeply accept our, ourselves, then every moment of pain, knee pain, back pain, and all the um, accumulative discomforts that take place will be thoroughly worthwhile if one theme is registering in our life. And a person may spend her or his whole life in a worthwhile way of just expressing one theme, truly learning to accept ourselves. Learning to accept ourselves and be gentle with ourselves and in touch with ourselves rather than have the carrot of the future as the escape route. Because when people get older and when people get sick 
that future that is no longer a carrot either. So here he had, with all the difficulties, and it's a tremendous challenge and a tremendous undertaking, learning to accept, learning to be gentle and accommodating and allowing for the various phases and psychological seasons and storms that heart and mind go through when we are asking ourselves, just be with ourselves. The nature in the art of gentleness is a, is a tremendous blessing. Spirituality and nature have always had a very close friendship with each other. And it's not surprising that women of men have, in the exploration of gentleness, and letting go of the pressures and the, the desires for this, that and the other and, and that settling in which releases fresh levels of energy which makes the capacity to act in life so much greater and so much more effective. That in coming through that difficult transition from forcefulness and pressure and lack of self-acceptance to deep inner acceptance with the fullness of participation in life, that transition, the great challenge for us, not surprisingly, nature is an, a, a very important adjunct to all of this. It's, it's, it's something of a, of a reminder to us. Sometimes you, you, you see a, a, a creature. You, you go to somebody's home and they have a a cat or, or a friendly dog. You, you, you see a lovely bush, a, lo a lovely flower in the lake or in the, uh, in the ground. And, and everything else just fades away and, and, and stops. It doesn't have any real import at that time. And you just stop and it's just you and that expression of nature, that expression of, of gentleness. And there's just that happening. And it doesn't require us labelling and describing and analysing. There's just that very bare experience. And it's like sometimes it happens to us that we're quite busily involved mentally in our doing or whatever. And it just, it just catches our eye. Just for a moment. But it's enough to arrest attention. It's enough to bring us to that stillness. And it's just that. And the very expression of that nature, that, that creature, that butterfly, that bird, that cat or whatever, goes straight to somewhere deeper. It's a feeling experience and we just stop therein. And gentleness is there, just like that. Softness is there. I'll give you a small example today. <coughs> This afternoon, uh, Ron here and I, we went to uh, Berkeley. Um, I went to have uh, a meeting, in fact, to make a taped interview with a good friend of uh, spiritual life and uh, ecological awareness, this man, uh, Fritjof Capra, who is uh, 
books have made such a substantial contribution towards increasing public awareness with regard to the insights, spiritual and philosophical, of the East and uh, scientific perceptions of the West, as well as the um, movement towards the deepening of our, should we say, green awareness of life, both the inner and outer relationship to life. And so I had a, a meeting uh, uh, with him. And we arrived there, and he was just at home with his um, daughter, young daughter. She's just uh, eight months. And we were um, talking at, at the table. And, and during this time, the young daughter uh, was there being held by uh, Catherine, a friend. And from time to time, the young child's attention, while we were discussing global issues and and what's happening in Europe, and what's happening in, in the States, the young daughter would just make a, a little sound, or just express herself in, in small ways. And there he was, talking at, you know, these issues of life, and yet uh, there was this other level too, which had a, quite a, a touching, I felt, and a softening, and sensitive impact on the, the communication which was taking place at, at the table. And when we came to the, towards the latter part, I, I asked him, and I'm being a, a father myself, I asked him, with your involvement um, in, uh, uh, in active ways through seminars and workshops and um, public, public talks, how is this becoming a parent affecting you? you know, what about, how are you integrating these two? And he made the comment, comment and I think it's a very important one, that to some degree or other, the nuclear family situation is as much a product of the producing and consuming society as anything else, because it's got people, everybody to be separate in their own concrete situations with their own hoovers and radios and TVs and all the other mechanical activity to increase the field of production. And what has happened within all of that, it's also created a great deal of pressure within the nuclear household. And how, as men, as you pointed out, how, as men, we have got to find ways within ourselves to be more sensitive and aware and gentle within the home life, within what it means in terms of partnering, parenting. And as he said, and to his credit, for the first three months after the baby uh, was born, he dropped absolutely everything in order to give full time to parenting. And now the several hours a day which he's parenting full time so that his partner can uh, be free to develop other things, and he gives about two or three hours a day to his uh, uh, work in his office with the, with the baby as we saw um, um, playing around on, on the carpet or sitting on his lap while he types. And it, and it needs to be a, a field, that, that exploration within, within us to see, basically, that some of the old models which we use is, is utterly unsatisfactory for oneself, for one's friends and partners and children, and therefore socially. And this is where this switch takes place from doing to being, from pressure to gentleness, 
And part of that, just in the last two or three minutes now, part of that, we've got to explore that. You and I, in our time, in our days that we, have, that we are actually here, have got to begin to feel that. And the major transition, I would say, is that when we're doing, and especially if we're doing successfully, it's even worse. When we're doing, and we're doing, and we're doing, and we're doing successfully in that way, what easily happens is that the mind and body become attached to the intensity of the sensation. The feeling of doing and getting things done and being somebody in, in the world in that way has a certain intensity to it. And we love it. And sometimes we want that intensity in our meditation. We want to be intensely concentrated or whatever it might be. And when we're not experiencing this intensity of mind and body, we feel we're not getting anywhere. We're not really doing anything. We're shuffling around. We're uh, not, really, not really present. And so that transition from intensity to gentleness with the fullness of energy isn't an easy one to take. But if we are prepared and willing to see what that might mean for life, perhaps we'll be able to go deep. Perhaps we'll be able to go deep and discover in life areas and dimensions of life which are not accessible when there is pressure which are simply excluded because of intensity. And that's why our practice sometimes can be said of one of, what, sitting around all day doing absolutely nothing. <laughs> Walking up and down doing nothing in particular standing as we'll do in two or three days, just standing there, not even waiting for a bus. <laughs> and if we can begin to get a sense of what not doing is, and it's got nothing to do with apathy, obviously, or indifference, or withdrawal, or with alienation, if we can begin to get a sense of that, the quality of doing is going to be fundamentally different for each one of us. And in that respect, truly, as a person, only you are qualified to find that out. No outer example of it is going to make any difference. This we have to discover. And perhaps in that, and in that going deeply, perhaps that statement that was uttered two and a half thousand years ago, that the original nature of the mind is pure and bright, begins to register more deeply. 
And, it, and, and it doesn't matter at all. It's trivial whether one believes it or accepts it or, or, or not. But let's explore. Let's find out. So that love and compassion and abiding friendship towards life is effortless. May all beings be in touch with life. May all beings see through intensity and pressure. May all beings abide with an expansive and participatory awareness. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.